Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 497th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me. Well, I should say not yet. Uh, working on that um, for your daily reading. But still, though, you can enjoy this show at any time. Of course, uh, come to blogtalkradio.com. Uh, head over to uh, a special uh, feed spot for the soccer listening and the soccer show rankings of other soccer podcasts that they follow, including myself. And uh, last week, great week of a show talking about the Open Cup and everything else. You know, before um, I get into my intro monologue, this is, like I've said already, episode number 497 of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, topped off with the other shows covering um, the U.S. Open Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, CONCACAF Gold Cup, the U.S. men's and women's national teams, World Cup qualifying, friendlies, um, and, of course, the World Cup itself. It's a situation where, you know, I never expected to last this long. Um this has been a wonderful ride, honestly. This has been a wonderful ride for me to see what's been going on. And uh, and I'm very happy that all of you have been joining me uh, on this particular ride. And it's just been fantastic, fantastic to have all of you join me to cover this game not just the heart and the passion for the sport in the United States, but within, you know, our region of CONCACAF. And I'm just thrilled, absolutely thrilled, that all of you um, have been, you know, listening to me, following me, and just wanting to be a part of this show. Uh, this has been a great ride for me. And all I can tell you is that I'm going to do my best to give more shows for you down the road. Now, it may remain the, sta- the same. It may change uh, depending on where I'm going. But for now, this has been... An absolute fun ride, and I am glad all of you are a part of this. I'm very, very excited and happy that you want to be a part of this show, and that was, that's what makes me happy. Um, so just to let you know, for the 500th episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, I have already lined up guests. Um, we're going to have probably a couple more joining us. Uh, I will be joined by former Fox Soccer analyst Gary Gazza Richards, World Soccer Talk writer and podcaster Carter Kirschneier, trying to get a couple more people if possible, and uh, have a little bit of a Champion Soccer Radio Network reunion in some ways. But what I am going to do for all of you is a little bit of a show that's going to be different. It's going to be a different type of show. Now, why am I going to do things a little different? Because I want to do something where it's going to be a lot of fun. Tons of fun. You know, we all love to talk about this game we all love to discuss the game. 
We have stories about the game. Where were you when this happened? Where were you when that happened and everything else? So I'm going to leave a little bit of a grain of a little bit of a, you know, some crumbs in front of you. Because I want to have all of you have a little fun with this. And this is episode 497. Next week will be episode number 498. And then we quickly go into March. And then we will get ready for a great month of March because of the Olympic qualifiers are coming up. Uh, CONCACAF Nations League semis and final will be coming up. We just have to wait for the dates. I'm assuming it will be on the international calendar um, of that particular week. Very exciting. Very, very uh, excited for that. We'll have to wait and see. And then, of course, nothing else until we get to the Gold Cup. There'll probably be some friendlies here and there. We'll get to those whenever we can. But as of right now, as of right now, the Four Years Teams Fire American Soccer Show is very, very happy, very excited, and an awesome feeling that all of you are enjoying this show, the content I'm bringing, and everything else moving forward into this. It's been a wild ride. Now, quickly, last week I had, of course, an emergency uh, guest, Michael Batista, uh, cup.us, of course, he also writes for Red Bull Nation, for NewYorkSportsNation.com. And reading comments on Twitter, an article from Protagonist Soccer talking about the Open Cup um, let me just throw my two cents in here. I'd like to throw my two cents in here about the Open Cup. Without a doubt, I am not here to tell you I love the Open Cup more than anybody else. No, we all have the same love for the Open Cup. Love watching round one and the journey that it goes with it. The journey from round one all the way to the final. Everything about the Open Cup talks about the purest form of competition in professional and amateur soccer. Now, yes, everyone is upset at this setup. Everyone is not happy about this setup. How quickly it will come and go. Let me say this. I wasn't happy either. I wasn't happy either. But I, but I, I had to pull the fan of the Open Cup out of me and start thinking about this rationally. And sometimes rationale has to come into play. It does. Rationale for the love of the Open Cup had to come into play. And I said to myself, self, we are still in a pandemic. We are still in a pandemic where we may not have fans back in these little grounds, these little stadiums, these little athletic complexes, just a field just across the road college, high school fields, athletic fields. So while there is disappointment from myself, the truth is, is that I do understand why they're doing it. Now, I'm not saying, not saying that let's make it into like this setup Forever and ever and ever, not saying it. I am saying this. Let us excuse 2021. Let's just excuse it. And we can have this Open Cup season as tough as it is and as difficult as it can be. And it is and it will be. The truth is, we should be grateful we have an open cup at all. Last year, completely canceled. 
no dates to have, no dates to play, and you know the protocol through what USL and MLS was doing with their scheduling and their rejuggling their situation. In all honesty, I really believe that having an open cup as diluted as this is now, then having no open cup at all, this is fine. This is fine. But when we get back to normal, when we are able to have a regular normal, bring the Open Cup back in its full glory for 2022 or 2023. Bring the whole thing back the way it was meant to be. And until then, if you're not going to watch this season, I understand. I'm not here to point fingers at anybody. I understand how you feel. What about the teams that qualified for it, that missed it last year? Don't they deserve a full shot this year? Yes. But this is a different situation. Pandemic. The pandemic has caused this. U.S. soccer is trying to be careful. Remember, they run the Open Cup, just like the FA Cup is run by the English FA. The German Cup run by the German DFB. Dutch Cup by the KNVB. We have to understand... We cannot screw around like this. We cannot screw around like this. We must, and I repeat this wholeheartedly, we must remember that we are still in a level that we cannot mess around with, and it's called the pandemic. Until, until this entire situation has been wiped off the face of the earth and in our country, then let's go for it. Let's have a full open cup. We all need a voice of reason. I, this is not attacking protagonist soccer. This is not attacking anyone that feels that you know, the open cup has been ruined completely. Did we revert back to a level of back in the late 90s, early 2000s with open cup qualifiers? Uh, short amount of MLS teams coming in, short amount of teams coming out, whatever. In some ways, yes, but not permanent. I believe that the commissioner of the Open Cup and Paul Marstaller is making sure, making sure that the U.S. Open Cup, for now, it will be like this for 2021. And if things do improve, well then, you know what? We're going to go full out. One through five, quarters, semis, and final. We need clarification and clarity that this is not going to be like this forever. We must make sure that this pandemic is officially done and buried. So for now, let's not completely have a panic attack. Let's not have fights. Let's not argue over it. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. Let us make sure, make sure that at least we have an open cup season. The scheduling is really tough. MLS is going to get squeezed. We all have to understand that. The leagues are going to get squeezed for dates. Fixture congestion for 2019 for both club team and national team are absolutely too much for 2021. When we get to 2022, all bets are off. Let's go for it. But until then, until then, this is sacrosanct. The Open Cup is sacrosanct. And it should be back to normal as soon as possible. And when we get there, we will get there. So take it easy, everybody. We're going to have some fun with it. 
Let's just get rid of 2021 first, and then we'll look at 2022. Great show for you tonight. Uh, joining me later on tonight will be Michael Lewis uh, to talk about the ratification of the collective bargaining agreement with Major League Soccer and the Players Association. But joining me right now, a gentleman who is the interim commissioner of the Premier Athletic, excuse me, the Premier Amateur Soccer League based in Florida, brand new league that was supposed to start. Uh, in the fall of 2020, now we'll start in the spring of 2021. Joining me right now is, if I can pronounce his last name right, I think I will win an award, which I should. But then again, uh, butchering last names is just a part of the mistakes I make hosting this show. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, introduce this gentleman once again, the interim uh, commissioner of the Premier Amateur Soccer League, uh, Mr. Douglas Heinzer? Heiser. Heiser. See, I butchered it already. Yeah. $10 in the cookie jar. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you're very close. You're very close, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Of course, Carter Krishnire is your uh, communications officer, does a very good job, I should know. He's got a long track record of uh, making sure that whatever league he performs with, he does a very good job to uh, get you pointed in the right direction. First of all, uh, Douglas, thank you for again for coming on. Um, obviously, the pandemic has really hampered the start of this league, a uh, brand-new amateur league, yeah. of course, based in – uh, the state of Florida. What was the reason for creating the amateur, this brand new amateur soccer league, uh, especially for the state of Florida? Well, uh, um, the, 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 the number one reason is that the clubs who get involved, they strongly believe the clubs are bigger than the league by themselves. Uh, and then we did not find anything in the market that can in- understand what you're talking. <laughs> and then you decide to create the premier am- uh, amateur soccer league and a little more than a year ago. And then we start eating conversation with different clubs. And the idea is not to play, uh, is not to compete with any other league. And by the by the way, you you want to, our league be complementary for the other leagues, like the guys play with us a preseason and then go for spring season playing in NPSL, UPSL, or the other leagues. And, and but the things are starting to be growing, and people the play uh, the clubs are pushing us to have a full year around and, and season. And this is not going to happen this year. You're going to start with our inaugural season when you're going to try to put everything in order and see how the operation goes. And, and, and then you don't know about the future. And you are a state league. You are a state league because I personally understand that a stronger local uh, state soccer association have too much to help and support local soccer. And it's very important to to contribute with the Florida State Soccer Association. In my vision, we have a couple state leagues here who have the same thoughts. And we want that the players fee stay in the state and because they're coming back to us. <laughs> and this is the main reason. And a league that is going to be used as a tool to make the teams achieve their dreams. Done. Only that. Not to compete with any other league. Mm. It's a closed league. You, the, if a new team wants to join us, it's not like that. And we have our minimal standards. And we're going to end the, the registration for the teams when you reach the number of eight for South Florida. Okay, you're not going to have more than eight teams in South Florida at all. And, and then you're going for another area as people asking us to go. But basically, it's eight teams going to be the premier soccer teams, amateur soccer teams in South Florida who are going to compete with this uh, league. That's great to hear. 
that's wonderful to hear. Obviously, uh, seeing the level of talent in, in at least the state of Florida has been amazing. Obviously, uh, you have several players that have been playing in uh, American uh, soccer leagues across the country. You have, of course, uh, Conrad De La Fuente, who has been a part of Barcelona, uh, and many other players uh, who are probably playing in Europe currently, whether it's in the top mm-hmm. leagues like the Bundesliga and the Premier League and um, Serie A and uh, now La Liga in Spain. Of course, there's also the other leagues all around the country and uh, or all around the other countries of Europe. These players are getting on a chance to show why they are so special. Um, mm-hmm. Is this going to be just one part of the state or you're trying to go statewide? The idea is to go statewide, but like I said at the beginning, you're not going to be in the market to compete with other leagues and to try to steal teams for other leagues. As you have gotcha. a request to go for a special area, we're going to re- go in there. I'm not going to tell you, oh, you're going to Central Florida now. No, no, it's not, not, not going to happen. This is not the way they work. Mm-hmm. People, teams in, South, in Central Florida they must show the desire to participate in the league. And then you're going to have the Central Florida. I'm not going to knock mm-hmm. anybody's doors to ask to join the league. It's not going to, mm-hmm. This league is not made, created to make money for the league. No, this league is made, it was created to support the clubs. And then, more than that, support the clubs to make money. <laughs> it's the time that you need to have a league given back for the clubs involved with them. And this is what you're looking for. And then you cannot do this for everybody. You're going to be a right. limit group who's going to join the league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but you the answer to your question, yes. State suck? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, keep going. I, I okay. interrupted. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. Yeah, but, but, uh, no, no, you interrupt me. Um, but uh, answer your question, and yes, you, you have plans to grow to the state of Florida, but it's going to take a time. And yes. The league, the league is sanctioned by the state of Florida, the, soccer, the Florida Soccer Association. And we are not a Wonderful. league without any... Yeah, yeah, you, are, you are a league who is sanctioned by the Florida State Soccer Association. Yeah. That's wonderful to hear that they've uh, agreed to be a part of uh, they've they've agreed to have you have this PASL. That's that's really great because the idea is to make sure that all the kids get an opportunity uh, to be a part of this. And at the same time, obviously, the clubs that want to be a part of this, whether it is, like you said, NPSL, UPSL, that they're all joined together in this. And there's no fighting in fighting, I should say, mm-hmm. going around. Mm-hmm. If I can ask you this question, um, what has been the reasons for, I would say, the infighting we've seen in the past, depending on uh, the level of the uh, player, the amateur players trying to uh, get enough minutes to perform where they truly want to be a part of the bigger picture of American soccer? And can you repeat the question? I just get well, the a question is, you know, you. okay, yes, um, just to say, you know, You've mentioned that there's going to be no league stealing, no no stealing mm-hmm. of clubs. You know, everyone is welcome to this. Where have you seen in the past all the infighting that has been going on that has hampered the amateur level or the amateur kids that want that that wants to uh, have the dream of being in the big leagues one day? Well, for sure, the players want to be in leagues. That that possibly going to showcase their talents for the professional teams, yeah. And NPSL are doing a good job for years, and also and USL have their own patch for professional over there. But in reality, in reality, is a very few players coming through this system to play on the professional level outside the United States. You have a couple players here and, and that making it, and but maybe people are upset when I'm saying this now. But listen, I'm not talking about uh, 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 the ones that are there, but you have a huge number of the players who's left behind the system. This is this is the reality, and the amateur and scene in South Florida 
as a blend of former players for other countries who is moving here and trying to pursue career in the United States. And, and they think it will be easy, but it's not easy, like everybody knows. And then with a group of kids that was left behind to go pro, or some of those players that didn't make a college as well. And this is the youngest players between the age of 18 and 22. This is the blend of the team, the players that I'm seeing here in South Florida. What I want to tell you with that, and this is not any guarantee that the, the player is going to have a path for the future. And, and, and mm-hmm. teams and league, teams and leagues are selling this because <laughs> this is a money maker. And, and, and you see this every single moment online in social media that teams are inviting players to go to become uh, to go to a showcase in Europe, going to showcase in South America, and, and this is a money maker. This is a soccer tourism, like, like as I can say to you, and a very few players are going to make it. And at this, this stage, you are in the United States. You need to be very honest with ourselves because and knowing where you are now is going to help us to get where you want to be in the future. That makes sense what I'm telling you? And, and at yes, this it does. Stage, in this stage, you don't have enough development of soccer players in America. And we need to have more development. Why you don't have? Number one reason, the, the compensation for when the players get professional in the professional team or is they going to transfer abroad, this is not coming back for the local team. This is stay in U.S. soccer. They never go into us. Maybe they're going for MLS, but what's the reason for, for a team in South Florida create a developed team and to prepare players for the future? They don't have any compensation for that, and you, are, you don't have the good systems like you have in Europe and South America, when the players getting developed in the small clubs like the clubs to who's playing fourth division, and no official fourth division, by the way, in America, if you develop the players in this division, if they move in pro, the clubs grabbing some compensation, financial compensation for that. And this is why a lot of teams and, and, and put their money in the development academies there. But here is the concept completely different. And I don't see this happen a lot, players for coming for the fourth division, no official again, fourth division in America, going pro. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what, this is what I'm seeing. No, absolutely. Look, we all have our thoughts. Or... Sorry about that. Um, I was going to say was I, we all have our thoughts on what the game should be here in, in the United States and, and how it should be grown and how it should be done. Um, if I can ask you this, right now the idea is to start uh, in South Florida, and then when there's enough comfort level, obviously growing it to Central northern florida obviously somewhere down the road panhandle i can understand that is the bigger goal to make the pasl nationwide and have different regions to share with the uh, state soccer associations across the country okay yes you have the desire to have the brand pasl going national one day i don't know how long it's taken 10 years 15 years, 5 years, but, but, this is very important, and we're mm-hmm. only going to grow if you have a PASL for in, in each different state. We are PASL mm-hmm. Florida. You want the PASL right. Texas under the Texas Soccer Association, you understand what I mean? Uh, we don't want mm-hmm. to take the, for the state uh, level, the, this project of the league. The leagues must be state-sanctioned. And if a Georgia Soccer Association sanctions a league there, they can become PASL and Georgia. But we're not right. going to have a national league. You understand what I mean? The national organization. Okay. We, mm-hmm. We're going mm-hmm. to close so the brand. I understand that. And then you, yeah, but because if I, if, I, if I become a national league, oh, let's be a national league, Let's uh, bypass the state soccer association. 
let's go straight to USASA. And what's the purpose for another league like that? I believe that the state league are the tools to help us develop soccer in the entire United States. Because if they don't have their part of the registration there, they, you're going to have weak state associations, and then at the end, they don't be useful for anything. Understand? We need to mm-hmm. make our state soccer association strong. This is my goal. This is my vision for that, for the game. And that like is I'm a great vision. You, yeah. My, thank you. But, uh, like I'm saying to you, I'm not looking nothing for now. Okay? I'm not looking nothing mm-hmm. for now. Maybe I'm not going to see the, the, the end of this. But my goal is make soccer statewide stronger, create clubs that can be able to develop players, and then try to get compensation for, for develop those players in the future. That's not happening at this point in the United States. And if you get this basic stuff and create here, you you start you start and create a good way to develop soccer. This is my vision. And I can't and I can't wait to see that that vision come uh, true for you, uh, Douglas Heiser. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank good you. luck with the uh, PASL, and, uh, and be careful, be safe, and remain vigilant through this pandemic. Yeah, uh, yes, you are. Thank you very much for for your time. I hope uh, I can I could um, answer your questions and, and let the people who's listening today to understand the vision for our league. And I'll be available anytime. And then once this thing ends, you'll be welcome to visit Florida, and then you'll be my guest. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. The interim commissioner of the uh, Premier Amateur Soccer League, that is Douglas Heiser, joining me right now. And uh, thank him and Carter Krishnar for having him on tonight. Joining me right now, of course, he needs no introduction, but he gets one anyway. Um, Writing about this sport for a very, very long time, a lot of years. And, of course, it's great to have him on, as always. Of course, Front Row Soccer, New York Newsday soccer writer Michael Lewis joins me as the MLS and the uh, Players Association ratify a brand-new collective bargaining agreement. Michael, uh, Happy New Year to you and, and Joy. Uh, hope uh, everything's going well for you, too, out in Long Island. And how are you, sir? Well, I'm trying to keep my sanity, uh, probably like a lot of other people, <laughs> just being cooped up way too much. Uh, before I forget, hope you and your family are um, safe and healthy. Um, Physically, I, like I said, uh, mentally, I think we're all uh, a little uh, crazy. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, just because that's just the way things are. But um, getting by, watching a lot of soccer on TV, like probably a lot of us are. And um, you got to do what you got to do. It's all about uh, survival right now, getting through this. And whatever the new normal will be, we'll figure that out. We will, and uh, obviously vaccinations are being uh, delivered right now. Some, uh, not so much, some waiting for a new batch, but we'll have to wait and see. You know, um, Michael, when the original CBA that was done between both the league and the Players Association, um, you know, as quickly as it was completed, I thought everything's going to be fine. Obviously, no one expected the pandemic to happen, and MLS had to stop the league. Uh, from uh, playing until they had a reasonable uh, amount of time to restart it. And, of course, at the end of 2020, the league decided to uh, have a conversation with the players and say, listen, we need to redo this. And were you surprised that this situation did happen? And how surprised were you that they did come to an agreement before being forced to either the league locking out the players or possibly the players going on strike? Yeah, um, I was surprised that the league did uh, use the force majeure. I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that basically said, hey, this is what we're, we're, we're going to force the issue on you, literally. 
and uh, we want a new agreement or we're going to lock you out, which I think would have been, if that had happened, would have been the worst publicity for the league because no other till now has done that during the pandemic. And that would have been bad publicity across the board. And we could probably talk a, a half hour about that. Saying all that, um, I, in terms of getting an agreement done, I think it was more like a sigh of relief um, more than anything else. And I know that both sides gave up some things. I know the players gave up more than, than the owners did. But, you know, we've all been through some tough times. I understand the, the, the team owners, according to Commissioner Don Garber, had lost in the neighborhood maybe a little more than $1 billion last year. And without fans in the stadium, uh, they were probably, they're probably going to lose a considerable amount of money, maybe close to a billion dollars again. Remember, this is a league without a TV, or without a major TV contract, unlike the NFL, NBA, um, and Major League Baseball. Uh, but they, you know, I think they needed the season, even though they're going to lose money, because that would have been a bad situation for publicity. But like I said, I, um, a sigh of relief on my part. Uh, granted, they're going to be squeezing in. 34 games uh, into into fewer playing dates uh, because of COVID and because of the threat of the lockout. Yeah, I mean, that was really... I, I, you can definitely say that's the darkest, biggest cloud like hanging over the heads of everyone. It's not just the players. It's not just the league. It's the fans. I would also say the media. I mean, what would we have to write about? Because obviously... Uh, you know, how many times can you write about what's going on in, in the European leagues? And don't get me wrong, it's great to write about Giovanni uh, Reina, who's been tearing the cover off the ball uh, with uh, Borussia Dortmund, obviously. Uh, there's Chris Richards at Bayern Munich. You know, the, our, our players that are playing in Germany. Tyler Adams, of course, at Red Bull Leipzig. What Jesse Marsh has done with Red Bull Salzburg in Austria. Uh, Pulisic with Chelsea. I mean, but still, though, you know... Not to see MLS at all, and not saying we wouldn't have had American soccer. There have been the USL that would have probably taken over in the championship league. But still, though, not to have MLS and not to have Red Bull Arena filled uh, would have been a really big damper for a possible, uh, you know, possibly a spectacular 2021 season. Well, uh, you know, all of, if, if there was no MLS, they would be compared to the rest of the world. And people would and listen. I understand how bad we've had COVID here, uh, no doubt about it. Um, but they would be compared to the rest of the world, and you would say, "Well, this league is playing. Why? Why aren't you? This league is playing. Why aren't you?" So, again, just from the aesthetics of, of looking at the situation, that would have just been bad. Period. Um, you know, you had mentioned individual players from the U.S. team that have acquitted themselves quite well in Europe this, this season. Um, although some of the players have hit a dry spell recently, but that happens <laughs> that happens to every player unless your name is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. But, um, you know, fans root for more than players. They root for And without their favorite team, it's a pastime. It's a habit. And I don't care what sport it is, you want to go out and enjoy it. And even if you're not at the game, you're watching it on TV or on streaming or wherever your 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 device is, and or you're reading about it or you're watching uh, replays or highlights. Um, you know, it's part of our culture. If you're a sports fan, you know you can't do you can't live without your team. And, uh, you know, I've been around this earth a very, very long time. I have a favorite baseball team in New York. Um, they play in the Bronx. And I don't know what I would do a season without the New York Yankees, for example, because I could be a fan of that. I'm a fan of soccer in general. I don't root for any teams. Uh, when I'm at a game, I root for, for, play, uh, you know, for the best possible story. But um, And I think it's important for our mental health 
and I'm talking about everyone's mental health, to have our favorite, whether it's a team, hobby, television show, radio show, podcast, uh, to have that on a regular basis or when it should be. And I am no psychologist or psychiatrist, um, but I know we've all gone through some difficult times. And again, if we did not have MLS for a lot of fans, it would have been a, a very tough time um, psychologically. I, I absolutely agree. It would have been really, really difficult. I mean, I know you're all the way out on Long Island. I mean, I'm grateful enough that I'm not too far. Some of our colleagues are not too far from Red Bull Arena. Um and it would have been very interesting to see what would happen. I mean, as far as I know, Michael, as far as I know, ever since the labor discussions have started between the league and the players, with the players forming their own union, which, of course, it's great that they did, we have not seen any major grumblings between the league and the union. And it sounded like, you know, Whatever you you know read your news from on Twitter or Facebook or you know social media as well that's on at twenty four seven as we all know the players were not happy. I mean I really thought that this was going to be the very first time that we would have seen a major turn for the worst that the players were going to say you know what. We're not going to do this, and we want our we want our original uh, contract back. I can't blame them at all. Can't blame them one iota because uh, it it was agreed to by both sides, and um, and uh, you know I think the fans would have if if the worst would have happened i think the fans would have sided with the with the players because they were not the ones that um originated this uh when you have an agreement you think that it's going to be adhered to by both sides and when it doesn't i think mistrust happens in general that's not from sources or anything like that it's just you you know once you get uh, screwed by someone like that how much trust do you have in them, it's interesting the force majeure agreement. Um, the league cannot use it again until this December, and I think in a lot of people, in the back of a lot of people's minds, people are wondering, gee, if there's something else that isn't good that's happening to the public, whether it's the pandemic or something else, will the league use it again? I hate to, to bring that up, but that's in the back of my mind because they did it once. And when you do it once, you just have to wonder, is it going to happen again? Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's the hope that uh, that won't happen. Um, and if it, I mean, if the league's going to do that, you know, try and uh, redo the play again, shall we say, you know, it's going to be a different outcome. And I mean, you don't know what's going to happen because, uh at least two more months remaining at the beginning of 2022 for World Cup qualifying. And for Greg Berhalter, it's like, listen, I mean, he knows he's got a good bunch of players in Europe, but, you know, he's thinking, look, I need some of these MLS players to finish up World Cup qualifying because, you know, you're going to have three games in September, three games in October, two in November, and then nothing in December until January of 2022, just so you can finish it up. So, you're going to have January and March left. And what about those players that are hoping to have a World Cup roster spot if they're going to fight for it? You know, you, players need to play because that's where you're going to find players in form, whether it's match fitness or just playing at the top of their game. Players who are, I guess for lack of better words, coming out of the woodwork, out of nowhere, that you give them a shot on the national team and they, they play well. And whether they're playing in Europe or MLS, I don't care where a World Cup team comes from, as long as you can put mm-hmm. together the best 18 players or you know for the squad, um, and you need depth. Like you said, playing three you know uh, three games within a FIFA playing window, yeah, you're going to need depth because there's going to be few players I think that could go 90 minutes 
three times within an eight-day, ten-day period. You're asking a lot at that at that level in CONCACAF. And, you know, you just need players playing, period. That would have been devastating, not just for the national team, but there are a lot of players in MLS. I could think of one, Kyle Duncan of, of the Red Bulls, who are vying for a spot on the uh, under-23 team, and, and they're going to be trying to qualify for the Olympics um, next month in, in Mexico. So, you know, just think of it, if we did not have training camp right now, the players would have to train on their own, or maybe U.S. soccer would have to put together some sort of a, a, a group, a training camp here in, in the United States, maybe a little longer for, for some of those Olympic hopefuls. Now with a training camp in MLS, they'll get to train in, in a team situation. When you train by yourself, that's great. I think most players do that in the off-season. They might take a couple days off, a week or two off, whatever, during the holidays. But then they, they treat their bodies very, very seriously. But there's nothing like training in a team situation when you're getting pushed, not by just the coaches, but by your teammates. So you need that. Um, so it w- would it would have been devastating for the U.S.'s World Cup hopes because then – Greg Berhalter would have just had to rely on the European players, which he's got plenty over there. But I think as a coach, you want to have as many players at your disposal to choose from. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing I think we all need to understand. We can't – this should not happen again. I think we should uh, not worry anymore about this force majeure clause. we got to – just find a way to uh, move forward, and hopefully we can get a good season next year. And I'm just glad that uh, nothing too serious is going to stop uh, the league now, unless there's another outbreak of the pandemic. We'll have to wait and see, of course, but hopefully everything will be just fine moving forward. If I can just bring you into some New York Red Bulls news, you know, Kaku is someone that, you know, is a great talent. Obviously, he's got great technical skills, but he has been desperately wanting to leave the Red Bulls since he came over back in 2018. We all know what happened in 2019. He wanted to leave, go straight to Club America in Mexico. That didn't happen. Um, Now there's reports coming out of uh, the Middle East, I believe it's a Saudi Arabian club, Al Tujuan. I probably butchered their name anyway. It's okay. It, I, I don't really follow what goes on in Saudi Arabia. That he's already making the move to go to Saudi Arabia. Meanwhile, um, the Red Bulls are starting to play some hardball. They've already uh, uh, activated a uh, extension clause to add another year to his MLS contract. Um, Either it's a rumor or it's already been uh, said on ESPN by Jeff Carlisle that um, the Red Bulls have told U.S. Soccer do not send out his ITC. What is going on with Kaku? Why does he want to leave here so badly? And why are the Red Bulls playing hardball? Well, when he when there was that possibility of him transferring to Club America with for a considerable amount of money, I think I uh, I. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Was, was it six for $6 million transfer fee? The, uh, and I apologize if I'm wrong with that. It could be more. Um, mm-hmm. The Red Bull said no. And obviously, you know, it's, it's a big deal for him because players do get a percentage of the transfer fee, but also new club, Mexican club, most likely a bigger contract, more money. Um, and let's, let's face it, you know, playing in Mexico for many Latin players, Latino players, it's it's more prestigious. And I think the Mexican League is a very difficult league to play in compared to MLS. So there was that going for him. And I can't blame a player who has his sights set on being transferred to a, a, a club like Club America um, and all of a sudden it gets squashed. Now, unfortunately, we all know what happened afterwards. Um I don't think Kaku played up to his potential. There was an unfortunate incident when he he kicked the ball into the stands and it hit 
Kansas City fan in the face. I don't think he did it on purpose, but it was just a worst place at the worst time um, uh, by Kaku. Um, you know, I, I just think uh, the Red Bulls are, are playing hardball again. I think maybe they're trying to get a, uh, a, a larger transfer fee out of it, the pro, uh, you know, out of Kaku going to the Saudi Arabian club or any club for that matter. The problem is I don't think Kaku has been the same player the last two years, and I understand 2020 was a, an aberration of a season for, for so many players because of COVID, but I don't think he has made the same impact as he did back in 2018 when he had, what, six goals, 14 assists. Believe it or not, that's it, that's burned into my mind his his stats from mm-hmm. that year, and which is an excellent mm-hmm. year for a, for an attacking midfielder in the league. But um, but even beyond the stats, I don't think he's had the same impact on the team. Uh, and like it or not, his value has gone down since 2019. Uh, saying that, sometimes the best tonic for a player is getting an opportunity to play elsewhere. And um, gut feeling here is that the, the Red Bulls are playing hardball. I could understand why, but I don't know uh, how much money they'll be able to to get for him. But I remember a situation way back in 2006, about 15 years ago this month, when the Red Bulls were having lots of trouble with uh, Amado Guevara, uh, whether or not he was going to report to the team. And there was a, a big to-do between him and Alexi Lalas. And excuse me, it wasn't the Red Bulls at the time. It was the Metro Stars. It was just right before the Red Bulls bought the Red Bull bought the team from AEG. So it was the Metro Stars at the time. But uh, it yeah. seems like things tend to go in cycles, don't they? Yes, they do. They really, really do. Uh, let me just say this though. I mean, I would like to think that. I understand his desire to go to a bigger club and a better club, and that's fine. But one year, and he's already demanding a transfer out. I, I, I mean, I, that's like the quickest transfer uh, request that I have ever seen from a player. At least you'd like to think he'll get at least remain with a certain club for like, you know, three seasons, four seasons, and then say, mm-hmm. okay, look, I have a transfer request from Club America. I, to me, it's just the strangest thing I've ever seen from a player who leaves South America with Huracan and then comes to MLS. And then after the first season, now he wants out. It's just, to me, it's strange. Sometimes it comes down to money. You know, you, you have a lot of money in front of you saying, Hey, this could be my big payday. Um, I think, you know, a lot of players out there, uh, they might live well, but they do take, what if they do have that big payday, they're going to put a lot of it in the bank. And, you know, they realize that after they retire, they're not going to be earning the same, uh, the same level. So I, I could see a player saying, hey, this, this is a great payday for me. I understand where you're coming from. I'll say one thing about MLS. I mean, it's, listen, I, I've criticized the league. So many people have. There were uh, players from Central America. One reason why they loved playing in MLS is because they, they said, on and off the record through the years, we know we're going to get paid. Sometimes it's maybe Mm -hmm. less, supposedly less than what they make at home. Uh, Maybe a lot of times it's maybe more that they make here, but they know they're going to get their paychecks on time. That's, and that's, that's a big deal, believe it or not in life for all of us. Uh, But again, when, you know, I don't know what the contract, or I don't remember what was offered. Um, you know, to Kaku from Club America, but if it's in the seven figures, I could understand why a player will want to go, no matter what, whether or not he leads a team to a championship or they're in last place. Well, if you're in last place, maybe you do want to go, but uh, you, I could understand that. I, I understand where you're coming from, too. You know, you know, fans don't like to see players come and go all the time. They like to see players stay for a long period of time, minimum of three years. Soccer is a transient sport more than I think any other sport in the world, just because of all the transfers that we see. But again, I could understand mm-hmm. it. Yeah, 
I agree with you there. I can understand that too. I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, it's after after the one year where they had that great run in the Champions League, and then, um, I mean, we all know Jesse Marsh went to uh, Leipzig to be part of the coaching staff, and then he becomes later on becomes head coach at Red Bull Salzburg. But you know, I don't know something. He wanted out so fast. I'm I'm thinking to myself, this is impossible. You just got here. <laughs> How can you ask for a transfer now? Out. I don't know, but I agree with you. You know, this sometimes the contract is not worth the the uh, the paper it's printed on, as someone has told me. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But Michael, thank you as always for coming on the show. I always appreciate your time. Hopefully, I'll see you at Red Bull Arena. We can get back into the press into the press room and the press box, and huh. we can have uh, our conversations again. Well, listen, it's being on the show again. Uh, I hope I get a chance to see you and the rest of the. Uh, the bunch of uh, media reporters. Uh, when I say media, I mean across all classifications, not just uh, um, not just internet, even an occasional newspaper that shows up these days. But listen, I'll I'll tell you this, and all your listeners, stay safe and healthy, and uh, be careful out there. Why will you too? And yeah, you tell Joy that she has to stay safe as well. So thank you again, Michael. I appreciate, it, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Thank you, you too. Michael Lewis, great New York and national soccer reporter, uh, covering MLS, American players, anything and everything in the CONCACAF as well. It's uh, it's always a wonderful and a pleasure. It's, a, it's always a pleasure and an honor to work with that man uh, who's been around for so long. It's just great to work with him, and I'm just happy I can call him a colleague. Um, as we wrap up the show, of course, you know, I want to say something, you know, to the uh, Rhode Island club that's going to start in 2022 in USL Championship, the Tidewater um, area of Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you have gone to USL Championship website <clears throat> or if you've been on their website, uh, the company that is building, and it's called the Tidewater Landing, um, they're building uh, an impressive 7,500-seat soccer-specific stadium out in Pawtucket. They are redoing the original home of the uh, former Triple A, well, I should say they've moved to a brand new stadium, I absolutely, uh, actually. They're the Triple A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. They are the Pawtucket Red Sox, or back there, they're calling it the Paw Sox because it's a uh, bear uh, for their logo. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And the former baseball stadium has been taken down, and they're building this 7,500 seat soccer specific stadium with this wonderful setup for um you would have to say i believe it's also a uh an apartment complex i believe i i could be wrong um also uh shops bars watching the game while you're in the bar live over there jumbotron very big very long um extending uh and there'll be a new soul championship in 2022 out in rhode island and pawtucket rhode island uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a wonderful design, wonderful rendering, and USL Championship, even USL period, they have to be excited and they have to be uh, brilliantly happy that they're getting a jewel of a stadium. Not saying the other stadiums that they've built soccer-specific-wise for some of these club sides are not. But the truth is, is that this is just adding on to the amount of national, excuse me, of uh, club sides building their own stadiums. Now, I don't know if it's going to be big enough, uh, you know, for a national team match um, or, you know, or something like that. But you know what, though, to see that, to see the renderings of this stadium, along with the Lynn Family Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky for Louisville City, that's a stadium that I believe can be for a national team match whether it's a friendly uh, for the men or the women, you know. And, you know, let's not forget, Open Cup can be played there as well um, in Rhode Island. But still, though, I have said this over and over and over. We need to build stadiums for this sport, for all the clubs that are in American soccer. 
we got to get out of the minor league baseball stadiums, the major league baseball stadiums. Um, obviously, would love to get out of uh, <clears throat> NFL stadiums to have an MLS soccer-specific stadium. All of this is part of what I've been saying all along. I'm, you know, Seattle's done a great job. There's no doubt about it. Maybe in Seattle they can build a. And I'm not saying it should be like this, but maybe something like La Bombonera in Buenos Aires in Argentina. I'm not saying to bring it over to Seattle. I'm just saying if they build something like that, that'd be awesome because they know they can fill the place up. They know they can fill the place up, and let's see what happens there. You know, our region needs stadiums. They need big ones. And hopefully the current stadiums that we have already built can be extended. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But outside of that, it's been wonderful to talk about. Um, I want to thank my guests tonight, Douglas Heiser, the interim commissioner of the national, excuse me, of the premier amateur soccer league, Michael Lewis, front row soccer, New York Newsday, uh, national soccer writer. Great to have him on the show to talk about the uh, collective bargaining agreement being ratified by both the players and MLS. It's great to see that. Once again, MLS will begin on the weekend of April 17th. Preseason will be beginning uh, around end or beginning of uh, March, end of February, beginning of March. And also, let's not forget, the Olympics will be starting up very shortly. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I personally cannot wait to see what will happen then. But until then, remain strong and vigilant and just be happy. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.